It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we're here on the November 20th, 2014 version of the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you. We're getting a second start here. We messed up the first one. We're starting over. We have to do a, a reboot. Yeah, we look forward to hearing from you, though. And I think from what we're seeing in the chat room, Jacob, looks like we're getting out in audio and video form now. Well, it's, it, it was my fault, okay. my mistake. It happens, it happens, it happens. It happens, it yeah. happens. Hey, uh, but we do want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And you want to get in the chat room tonight because I think the chat room will be heating up on a topic uh, that is uh, going to be very interesting and important on an email that you got uh, just yeah. yesterday. Yeah, Jacob, as I was saying earlier, I'll repeat it again. Uh, a lot of times when we get questions, we always ask for questions. We ask yeah. people, if you have something that you want to hear discussed on the virtual Bible study, let us know, and we'll try to discuss it. Very often we get a number of questions that are, would not make a whole program, so we save them up. We do several at a time. But this one came in this week, and it was so intriguing to me. I thought, we'll just deal with this. It just came in yesterday, but I thought, we'll deal with this this week. I think it's interesting it comes from a, a woman who was a former member of the Church of Christ. She's left the Church of Christ now, uh, doing something different religiously. She wrote a nice letter. It was lengthy, uh, a, a nice attitude. There was I, I did appreciate no, the tone. No animosity. There wasn't yeah, any animosity. That's good. That's good. And, and so to our update list earlier today, I sent out four excerpts of this longer uh, email that was sent in, talking about some of the things that this woman now questions that she uh, she doesn't believe what she used to believe when she was a member of the Church of Christ. And and so we want to deal with that tonight. Okay. Uh, if you have not received our update, it's probably because you're not on our update list. And you can be by sending us a simple email to questions at collegeview.com. And in the subject line, all you need to do is just put add me to the list and we will do that. Uh, I'm not going to take time to read all of these right up front, Jacob, but we will just uh, start out. There's four of them. Uh, and we'll have to move rather quickly. And we've got a lot of email response. Wow, the uh, most we've had in a long time. most we've had in quite a while. And we probably won't be able to read all of every one, but uh, we'll do our best. Uh, the, the first quote from the letter, again, this woman has not given us permission to identify her by name, but we'll just call her her. Yes. And she says, baptism is very important. I agree with that. If you believe that Christ is your Savior, you should be baptized. However, your faith in Christ is what ultimately saves you. It's the blood of Christ that saves, not water. The Apostle Paul discusses baptism in depth. However, he never clearly states that baptism gives you your ticket to heaven. A person is baptized when they believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is their Savior. If baptism secures salvation, then the whole meaning of baptism is messed up. People would begin to get baptized to secure their salvation without really believing in their heart that Jesus is the Messiah. There's a whole lot in that statement, mm-hmm. Jacob, about baptism. That, and uh, I suppose we could chase a lot of rabbits there. Mm-hmm. I would just start the discussion by saying that we agree that faith in Christ is what ultimately saves. The blood of Christ saves. It's not the water. Yeah. Uh, I think we've said probably a hundred times or more on the virtual Bible study over the years, that we do not believe that the water saves, that without Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, the water of baptism would be completely ineffectual. If you did, and if you didn't believe in Jesus, if you didn't have faith in him, and if he hadn't provided the, the atoning sacrifice on the cross, you could be dunked in water a million times, and it wouldn't save your soul. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't know how we can get that message across, that we're not saying that the power is in the water. We understand the power is in the blood of Jesus, yeah. uh, and we have to believe that. And, and we enter into the act of baptism as a, a, an act of obedient faith based upon those facts. But I don't know how we can say it any plainer than we've tried to say it over and over and over again. 
we don't believe that the water has power apart from what Jesus did as he lived and died for our sins. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. And I, and I don't know how we say this again. We we said it over and over again. We need to repeat it. Obviously, for this listener. We don't believe that baptism earns our salvation. It does nothing to take away from what Christ did for us. We cannot be saved without what Christ did for us. But it is important that we follow the instructions that Christ has given us. I, here's something. I posed this to a Baptist uh, yesterday. I asked a question. He, he says, all you got to do is believe. I asked the question, does this mean I can be saved without Jesus being my Lord? Without submitting to him and let him be Lord of my life, can I, will I be saved if he's not my Lord? Well, he didn't really want to answer that question, but the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I command? If, if Jesus is going to be my, uh, my Savior, he's got to be my Lord, and that means I've got to obey what he said. I also asked the question, can I be saved without loving Jesus? Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Is it, if, if, can I be saved not loving Jesus by not submitting to what he told me to do? Those who would say that all you got to do is believe would say that I could be saved with that by, by hating Jesus and by not submitting and allowing him to be sovereign over my life. But I don't understand how that could be. Uh, good. I think it's a perfectly good argument. Monty? You know, Jesus made the comment and taught about that because he said even the demons believe and tremble, but nobody has the notion that a demon's going to be saved. I doubt if we truly, from a physical standpoint, believe as well as they do because we've never actually seen Jesus, but apparently they had. They had firsthand knowledge of God and Jesus, but just believing in them wasn't sufficient to get them saved. Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, I think one verse that kind of puts that all together, Jacob, is 1 Peter 3.21. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. You can't get around it. Baptism doth also now save us. But it goes on to explain. It's not the putting away the filth of flesh. It's not just a physical act, but it is the answer of a good conscience toward God. In other words, when we enter into that physical act out of a, out of a desire to have a pure conscience toward God, in other words, with the right mental attitude and desire and motivation, uh, he says, again, the like figure wherein to baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the fill of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, only because Jesus died and was resurrected does it work at all. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, we've, we've said that so many times. I, it's, it's a little frustrating that, that we keep being misrepresented on that fact. Yeah. Uh, he, this person says it's the blood of Jesus that saves, not the water. We never said the water saves. And we didn't say it punches your ticket. I think she says it yeah. gives you your ticket to heaven. We don't believe that. We believe we, it. And, yeah, that last part of that quote, she says the whole, if baptism secures salvation, the whole meaning of baptism is messed up. People would begin to get baptized to secure their salvation without really believing in the heart that Jesus is the Messiah. We never taught that. She's suggesting people would just do it uh, as a ritual to merit salvation. I got, I'm saved. I got baptized. Right. Doesn't matter what I believed or what motivated me to do it. I did it. Right. And therefore, I'm going to heaven. We we never taught that. Right. Nobody yeah. nobody I know believes that. You know, I would suggest that as she was saying, people would do it just to make sure their salvation was secure without truly believing that Jesus was the Messiah. If you don't truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, like you said, you get baptized and dunked in water a million times, and it won't it won't accomplish a single thing for you. Without that belief and faith, baptism is a meaningless act. Now, and the, the other thing that, that it's important about this, by believing that we've got to be obedient to be saved, obedience including repenting of our sins, Luke 13, verse 3, uh, confession of our faith in uh, Jesus. By believing uh, that and, and practicing the fact that we've got to be obedient in order to be saved, we can harmonize the Scriptures. But folks like this listener here who says, well, all you got to do is believe, then you've got to trip over every passage that you come to in the New Testament, and you're going to come to them almost every chapter. The passage that, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Uh, not everyone that saith me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. John seven, or Matthew seven twenty one. Uh, Confession Hebrews, is made unto salvation. Yeah, Hebrews ten ten. As in Hebrews eight verse five, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who believe him. No, all who obey him. Yeah. Uh, over and over again, we see we've got to be obedient in order to be saved. And so I can harmonize the New Testament when I take that view. But I take the view though that I just have to be, believe in order to be saved. Then, I, then I've got all these contradictions I've got to come up with an explanation for. Let's go real quickly to some of our emails. And again, we got a lot, and they're long. And so we may not be able to hit them all. Aaron in Louisiana says, 
I have worshipped in Churches of Christ in all corners of the U.S. and several foreign countries, and I've never heard anybody suggest that baptism without faith does anything more than just get you wet or that it is some magic key to heaven independent of any other factor. We agree that the blood of Christ takes away sin, but the blood is contacted when we're baptized into Christ's death, Romans 6, 3, and 4. The fact that baptism is, quote, for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38, and that, it, and that, quote, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, John 3.5, tells you enough about the importance of baptism. The phrase baptized into Christ, Romans 6.3, Galatians 3.27, tells you that before baptism, one is outside of Christ, and after baptism, he is in Christ. And even one who is baptized cannot please God without faith, Hebrews 11:6, and without a life of faithful obedience, Revelation 2:10. Thank you, Aaron, for that. Brad in Athens, Alabama, says first definition of terms. He says, "Yes, your faith is what saves you, but what constitutes saving faith? How does the Bible define it?" James 2 and Hebrews 11 make clear that saving faith is an act of faith, a faith that motivates one to obey. Saving faith is not a simple mental assent. Otherwise, Mark 16:16 16, 16 would have no reason to mention baptism. And so uh, Brad says that a saving faith is a, a faith that is obedient. I made that point to uh, this Baptist uh, gentleman I've been talking with. Uh, Hebrews 11, Monty talks over and over again about people who believed, but that belief was inseparably linked with obedience. I pointed out uh, Noah, that he built an ark to the saving of his household. I asked the question, if Noah had just believed God, that God was going to send a flood, but he didn't obey by building the ark, would he have been saved? This Baptist man said, yeah, he would have been saved. Oh, he has to. Well, he has to. But again, we, we see over and over, by, uh, uh, faith has inseparably linked with obedience. Uh, Brad goes on, second, drawing arbitrary lines. Why is baptism very, very important? Paul, quoting Ananias, makes clear that it is the point of baptism that our sins are washed away, Acts 22:16. Peter says it saves us in 1 Peter 3:21. Paul says that it represents a death, burial, and rebirth, Romans 6, 3-6. If we are saved at the point of belief before baptism, then Ananias was wrong. Paul's sins were already gone. Peter was wrong because baptism not, does not save us. And Paul was wrong because we enjoy newness of life before baptism. Baptism is, is more than just very, very important. It's essential. To characterize baptism as less than essential is to usurp the throne of Jesus and his apostles and make, his, make one's own law rather than to accept the law of Christ. Thirty says a straw man argument is made. We don't argue that anyone should be baptized before he or she believes wholeheartedly that Jesus is their Savior. If someone told me that he was baptized because he wanted to secure his salvation, even though he did not at the time believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I would advise him to be rebaptized. Again, Mark 16:16 16, 16 requires not baptism alone, but belief and baptism. If he was baptized at, at a time when he didn't believe, then the, by New Testament definition, he is not a Christian. Thank you, Brad. All right, we got an email from Stephen. Uh, who says it, it, it's the blood of Christ that saves you, not water. All in the church of Christ know and believe this. The problem is to be determined how do we contact the blood. Answer, through the water. And then he gives uh, some examples of blood and water in the book of Exodus when the children of Israel came out of, uh, of uh, Egyptian bondage. A true living example of God delivering his people after observing the first Passover sacrifice says, and it came about that same day that the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. But then after passing through the Red Sea, an illusion of blood only then were the... I really would think that the Red Sea was an illusion to baptism, but I don't know. I would say... First Peter 3.21 refers to it as that. Yeah, and, and that, the, that the Passover, the blood of the Passover lamb, was the blood, uh, allusion to the blood. But anyway... Uh, uh, the Lord saved Israel that day from the land. It took the blood and the water to save Israel is what Stephen, the point Stephen is making there. Only then were they on their way to the promised land. Uh, see, Passover was a type of... Paul wanted us to know that passing through the Red Sea was a type of baptism, even as the Passover was a type of Christ. There, there's, I think we got it together there. And he, he references 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2. As far as baptism not giving one a ticket to heaven... Romans 6, 3 through 9 states that baptism is how we get into Christ. Uh, this person is, jo is this person joking or what? Is he suggesting that one can go to heaven outside of Christ? And in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, why is baptism the chronological step just prior to one God? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Okay. Right. okay. And we have an uh, email from David. David says, I believe this view of baptism as it relates to the Church of Christ stems from the notion that you're saved once you're baptized. I've heard it called the once baptized, always saved. Faith-only advocates vehemently argue against the idea that baptism saves and instead asserts that the blood of Christ and faith in that shed blood is what saves. They're partially right. The blood of Christ and faith in that shed blood is what saves us. 
But what that blood is applied to us when we're baptized. When we come up out of the water, we are free from all past sins. But baptism itself doesn't guarantee your salvation. Once we are baptized, only remaining faithful according to the word does. This is a subtle distinction that often causes the disagreement between the view, differing views on baptism. So baptism saves us in the sense that it is the answer of a good conscience toward God, 1 Peter 3.21. This is the very essence of faith. Saving faith requires works, James 18, uh, 2.18-24. One does not exist without the other. Therefore, it is not that baptism saves us by itself, but rather our faith in action, which leads us to baptism, is what can make us eligible for our salvation. Baptism must be one of our initial acts of faith as it allows us to be buried into the death of our Savior, Romans 6, 3, and 4, and allows us to be added to those that might be saved. Baptism without faith simply makes you a wet sinner. After baptism, however, we must remain faithful, Revelation 2, verse 10, according to God's word for us to enter into God's rest, Revelation 14, verse 3, and 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. Okay. Uh, man, we've got a lot of emails. We've got to go quickly Wait, here. Uh, we're a little. Uh, we've um, got to get this done, though. Let's, yeah, let's uh, I got an email. From, got an email from Sarah in Adelaide, Australia, tonight. Yeah, Sarah. Uh, I think uh, Sarah must be related to Peter. I think so. And uh, good uh, to hear from you, Sarah. In relation to question one, Mark sixteen fifteen sixteen, Jesus said, "Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned." I think. This is a cycle God wanted. Believe, baptize, preach the gospel. Believe, baptize, preach the gospel. Some people seem to think that those who are lost or seeking the Lord should come and find him, but that that isn't what Jesus taught us through his actions. We must go out and preach his grace and mercy to all people. All right? Thank all you, right. Sarah. All right. Uh, I'm going to hold off on Chris, I think. And we'll look. Are, you, are you ready to comment on Chris? I'm, I'm He's not. got a really long way. The first part of Chris's observation is he just mentions, he said, there's... Uh, um, there are There's no, no reference uh, to Scripture in anything said by this person, which is interesting. And I, I, I think that is worth noting. We're going to be dealing with this person's email, but they never referenced uh, any Scripture to support the, the concerns they have about what they used to believe in the Church of Christ and don't yeah. believe any longer. All right. Chris says uh, this cannot, uh, there can't be a short answer. There's many facets to this statement. But said, baptism is important, and uh, the, the writer seems to argue that it is not necessary for salvation, but there are some failings in this statement. Though alluding to Scripture is not explicit in the in scriptural offense of it, which leaves him in a weak spot, uh, her weaknesses are saying that faith in Christ is what ultimately saves, which means, lastly, saves you implies that other things are involved, and who is not to argue, for example, quoting Acts 2.38 or Mark 16.16, 16, that baptism is not one of those. I know full well that you would also reply to her statement that the blood of Christ saves, 1 Peter 2, 1, verse 2, Revelation 5.9, Romans 5.9, uh, Colossians 1, verse 2, amongst many more who you, who you would state, uh, with baptism now saves you from 1 Peter 3.21, not to mention that you may also point to Acts 22.16, and so forth. Uh, the ticket to heaven phrase through me, I guess by that she means salvation. But if Paul never clearly states it could, it could if Paul never clearly states it, could he be hinting at it? And one could say that Romans 6, 3 through 4 does not mention the previous Pauline verses that I have referenced. Okay. So um, anyhow, he, uh, thank you for that, Chris. All right, and we got an email from Carla, I think in North Carolina. Did we say she was from North Lowell, Carolina? North Carolina. Lowell, North Carolina. Uh, she says there are many scriptures that show how an active faith saves, but I think James says it best in James 2.19 when he states, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. Belief alone gets you to the level of demons and devils. Uh, and, and so she gives several other references. And then she kind of basically walks through the plan of salvation. Here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. So a long, a long response there. But thank you, Carla. We agree with you. Got one, email, one note in the chat room. And then we've got to take a break. Boy, we go, we've covered up here. Uh, but Aaron in uh, Louisiana says, Noah's a good example from Hebrews 11. But my favorite is verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. But when? Quote, after they were encircled for seven days. Same for baptism. Faith saves, but only after it demonstrates itself through obedience. I like the Jericho example because the marching around the walls did not earn the Israelites Jericho, did not cause the walls to fall down. But if they hadn't gotten up and marched around the walls, the walls would still be standing. And so we see the combination of faith and obedience there. Exactly right. we got to hurry on. Uh, I, I am, Jacob, I'm, I'm still just sort of frustrated that we can continue to be misunderstood on the subject of baptism. We're not saying 
that you earn salvation, just like the walls of Jericho. We don't earn salvation when we are baptized, but it's still necessary to do what Jesus said. If we don't do it, he's not our Lord, and can we expect him to save us if he's not our Lord? And we don't love him if we don't do it, and can we expect him to save us if we don't love him? Uh, we've got to be obedient. The scriptures throughout the New Testament, throughout the, throughout the Bible, we see God requires obedience. Yeah. I think one reason we keep having to go over this is like a popular radio announcer talks about people are Van Gogh listeners. Vincent Van Gogh had just one ear because he'd, in a stupid moment over some woman he's in love with, cut the other one off. But nevertheless, they're just listening with one ear. They don't listen to all of what we've got to say, all of what the Bible has to say on the subject of baptism. They just listen to the part that just enough to get them going, and then that reason leaves them, and they're, they're not completely listening to everything that's said about well, it. Well, and baptism is a sticking point, but really it involves everything else. Repentance, confession, every uh, a command of if God you, is If different. you put any condition on salvation other than, well, even faith, if you make faith a condition, unless you are a universalist and say everyone will be saved, if you put any condition on salvation, if you even make faith a condition of salvation, then... There's something you've got to be doing. How about murder? If, if you say you've you got to stop murdering if you want to be saved, does that mean that... Uh, that or stop stealing yeah. to be saved. That, of course, that we're talking about repentance. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're talking about obedience. And, yeah. and so if, we're, if, you, if you don't have to be obedient to the command to be baptized to be saved, how about the one to, be, to murder? Do you have to be obedient to that one? Or right. fornication? Money? Like I say, if there's any... Anything at all, then we've got to take it all. It's either an all or nothing thing. We've got to take all the baptism commands of Jesus. The, baptism is the focal point here, but you can do it on any command. All right, I would say, well, you just have to believe. It doesn't matter if you murder or if you don't. God doesn't care as long as you believe. No, well, there's there's a problem with that. Well, the devil believes in God, obviously, but right. he's not okay. We've got to cut this off and get a break. We'll be all back. Right, we're right going to go. We're going to go on to uh, the second point. We'll just we'll, we'll we'll describe it when we get back from the break. All right, thanks. We'll get back to this right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. Here's some quotes worth pondering. He who permits himself to tell a lie once finds it much easier to do it a second time and a third, till at length it becomes habitual. He tells lies without attending to it and truths without the world's believing him. That quote's by Thomas Jefferson. There's a tendency for people to credit themselves with their own successes, but to blame God for their failures. An idea that rules people inwardly will ultimately rule them outwardly. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program as we talk about a listener who is kind enough to send us a, well, a very kind email about some things she disagrees with about the Church of Christ. We're talking about that on the program. We talked about baptism, Mario. We could we could talk all night about that, and, I think. And, and this program is not sponsored by any kind of baptistry manufacturer. You don't get any kickbacks <laughs> from those who manufacture or make uh, baptismal garments. There's no, We don't have any vested interest in this. We just can't harmonize the Scriptures. Well, we do have a vested interest in the sense that we want to please God. Right. I'm saying there's no, there's no physical uh, you know uh, thing here. Uh, but... We just can't harmonize the scriptures without saying, 
I've got to be obedient to what God has told me to do or else yeah. he won't save me. So, yeah. okay. All right, we're going to move on. We could talk more about that, obviously. And our our emailers have sent us a ton of stuff. and We probably are not going to get to cover that all thoroughly tonight, but we'll do our best. Question: The second uh, observation that we picked out of this longer email was this. This person said, I find that the Church of Christ is different than many other denominations in that it is viewed that you must go to church every Sunday, you must study the Bible without question, and so forth. I know you all may not directly say that, but it comes across as requirements. I used to feel like Christianity was an idea of right versus wrong, and that's not Christianity at all. There has been a study done of kids who've grown up and left the church. It, it is said that many of the kids who left the church for good have come from churches that focus a lot on faith-based works. When you desire that relationship with God, good works become natural. You begin to want to read your Bible, serve others, and so forth. Now, this is a little bit a, a little bit confusing the way uh, our correspondent has put this together. And I had to just pick out some highlights out of a longer section of that email. But the idea is, is that we stress you must do this, this, this. Sort of, you know, it's stressing you've got to attend all the services. You've got to read your Bible regularly. You've got to do these and, and sort of enumerating must-do kind of things. And she's saying that she doesn't see Christianity that way anymore, that she believes that Christianity is just wanting a relationship with God and that when we want that relationship with God, doing certain things will come naturally, not by obligation. I, I, guess. I agree with that. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I agree with that. You know, uh, I, it, it is right that our motivation must be a desire to be right with God and not... I got to do this. I got a checklist. I did that one, yeah. Got you that know, one out yeah. uh, Because if we had that checklist mentality, it would put us sort of in the realm of people who are teaching salvation by merit, and we don't teach salvation by merit. Yeah. And we do want a relationship with God. But, and, and, and it should be that the reason we do the things we do is because we love Him and want to please Him. Uh, but the other side of that coin is they still have to be done. Right. You, you know? Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I don't think it's an either or. I think sometimes we do things because we know we must. Hopefully, as we grow and mature in Christ, that sense diminishes and the sense that I do it because I really love and want to honor and glorify my Father grows. But yeah. it, it, I, I think it takes both. Jesus taught both the promise yeah. of of reward and the fear of punishment. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's multiple motivations on lots of things about the scriptures. Yeah, so I mean, there certainly there would be times when you think, well, you know, Monty, sure get me out of jam here if I told a lie, but I, I got to tell the truth. And maybe I mean, I still got, I'm still going to tell the truth, even though it may not be the thing that necessarily, from a physical aspect, I want to do. And so, and there's nothing wrong with telling the truth in that circumstance, just because maybe you know I'm tempted not to. Well, you know, when we think of the word temptation, we wouldn't be tempted by something if there wasn't some benefit or some perceived advantage to us to do it. So, yeah, we're going to be tempted to do things sometimes, but we understand that they're wrong so that we don't, so we don't do them. Yeah. And we talk about where Jesus taught about reward and punishment. Well, when we're children, we start out doing what our parents tell us to do because of the punishment aspect. Because if I don't do what Daddy tells me, he's going to give me a spanking. And I didn't enjoy spanking, so I learned to try to do what Daddy tells me. But now I do things to please my parents because I love them and respect them. I want to, I want to honor them in that way. And it's the same way spiritually. We start out maybe becoming and serving God because we really just absolutely don't want to go to hell. Yeah. But yeah. then as we mature as Christians, we come to the point that we serve, and we still don't want to go to hell, but that's not really our prime consideration now. We want to please God and serve him and do what makes him happy, and so we serve him. All right. We're behind schedule, but Aaron quickly in Baton Rouge says, uh, it's true many children leave churches who teach that we must show our faith by our works, and that faith without works is dead, James 2. They leave because they have never formed a strong faith enough to move them to obedience, and the lack of faith is just as big a problem as the lack of obedience. But the alternative in many denominations is that kids stay in those churches while actively disobeying God and how they live their lives, and that's not a better situation because Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Hebrews 5, verse 9, I referenced that in error earlier. Thank you, Aaron. 
I completely agree that when one has the right attitude towards God, faithful obedience is natural. But in saying that, you have to acknowledge the corollary that if one does not faithfully is not faithfully obedient, he must have the right attitude. He must not have the right attitude towards God. It's perfectly appropriate to say that people who do not bear work or fruits worthy of repentance, Luke three verse eight, are not in good standing with God. Thank you for that, Aaron. Brad in Alabama says the saints in the as about attending all the services. He says the saints in the first century apparently worshipped every Sunday. Acts twenty seventeen, First Corinthians six one and two. Furthermore, the writer of Hebrew commands that we not neglect the assembling together. Hebrews ten twenty four twenty five. Regular worship is therefore a requirement. Hebrew contain, Hebrews contains the requirement. Acts and First Corinthians contain the record of how first century saints fulfilled that requirement. Paul exhorted Timothy in, in, in regards to study. Paul regarded, uh, exhorted Timothy to, quote, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Peter commands us as newborn babes to desire the sincere milk of the word, 1 Peter 2, 2. So, again, uh, Bible study is a requirement. Uh, may I point out the irony that the only way we know what requirement God places upon us, including the fact that we need and ought to desire a relationship with him, is by reading about those requirements in his word or by hearing it taught, uh, say, in a worship service or a Bible study period. Paul even points this out. How can they call on him whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Romans 10:14. If Christianity is not about the idea of right versus wrong or good versus evil or righteousness versus wickedness, why is there so much talk in the New Testament about right versus wrong? Jesus' entire Sermon on the Mount and a host of other scriptures uh, uh, teach the idea of right versus wrong. Uh, so I think Brad is, is uh, exactly on point with all of that. Thank you, Brad. Stephen uh, sends in. He says uh, churches of Christ are different than denomination, mainly because many or most of us in the church don't consider it a denomination. Uh, and then to the question of worship, uh, Stephen says, how often did the Jews rest? And the answer is every Sabbath. That was weekly. If Christians met on the first day of the week, and they did, then how often does the first week occur? The answer is weekly. Uh, he references secular history. It's been noted by in many sources that Christians met weekly on the first day of the week. As far as studying the Bible, without question, I have been taught and teach others to question everything to see if the things being taught are true. And he references Acts 17, 10 through 11. Thank you for that, uh, Stephen. Yeah, that was one thing about her uh, that, that paragraph there that you referenced is that the idea of the study of the Bible without question, no, we, we should question. We should make sure that what we believe is true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, David in Kansas City writes, there's no view. She said it was our view. There's no view that we must keep from willfully forsaking the assembling ourselves together. This is a direct command, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Furthermore, this direct command, again, it isn't a church of Christ idea or view, comes with a stern warning. For those poor souls that forsake the assembling of ourselves, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. What they do have, however, is a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery wrath. In forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as it is with any sin, they have trampled underfoot the blood of Christ and have insulted the spirit of grace. God is not to be mocked. Galatians 6, 7, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, 31. If they still feel that forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is acceptable, good luck with that. As for me, I'm going to heed that warning. You'll find me at services on Sunday. Not earning my salvation, but being obedient. Uh, Chris in the U.K. says, what should we do on a Sunday? Uh, DIY with the game on in the background. Do it yourself. Do it yourself, I guess, with the game on in the background. We have six days to work or whatever. Can't we give God one day and worship and thank him for his grace, our health, uh, his creation, and and et cetera? Uh, You study the the Bible without question. What, Lord, have you... What, Lord, have you to say with me? Seriously, if it is subjective, or take it or leave it, and on what grounds? Also, if it is a biblical one, how do I know that it is not one that is to take or leave too? If it is true that they had a works-based faith, then that is clearly wrong. Talking about the young people who leave. And yes, uh, life yielded to a gracious God will lead to obedience and good deeds. Set ahead of you in, in advance of Ephesians 2. But I think you are confusing that for the enduring to the end aspect of many people's faith, which I admit, must admit, I don't hold on to as I accept it is the Lord who keeps me, not me. Uh, well, so he's uh, has a little, little bit of Calvinism there. So, uh, so okay, there's Chris's comments. All right, we got Carla. One more, and then we got to take a break. We do. Uh, Carla 
uh, in North Carolina says, I agree that once a Christian desires a true relationship with the one who has saved them from eternal death, then the Christian will want to learn all things about Christ. Second Peter 1, verse 3. Uh, we should have a strong desire to study the Bible, worship God, and remember the sacrifice that was given, serve others, and so forth, since we have been transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 2. James 2.20 starts, Wilt thou know, O vain man, that work, faith without works is dead? Okay. Uh, quickly, uh, we're going to get a break. When we come back, uh, our correspondent has some problems with our views of instrumental music. We'll talk about that and get your comments as well. Uh, and uh, let's uh, get a break. And when we get, let's uh, take the bullet point, and when we get back, we'll get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The verse of Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Wynn with this week's Bullet Point. We have a common idiom that describes someone who has too many irons in the fire. The reference is to a blacksmith who is trying to work several items in the fire of his forge. In fact, he has too many objects in the fire and some will ruin before he's able to do his necessary work. Today, while there aren't many blacksmiths around, we still use the expression to describe someone who is trying to juggle too many responsibilities and activities. The end result is that some things don't get done as they should. Christians must be careful about having too many irons in the fire. Jobs, careers, educational pursuits, hobbies, recreation, kids' activities, various programs, and so forth all have the potential to keep us so busy that we allow spiritual things to get crowded off or at least seriously downgraded on our list of priorities. We cannot afford to let this happen. In Matthew 24, beginning in verse 37, Jesus said, As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Unquote. People were, of course, very wicked in that time, but look at the list of things that they were doing. Not all of them were necessarily sinful, but clearly they had excluded God from their thoughts and plans. They had even ignored the warnings that Noah was preaching, Second Peter 2, verse 5. They were just too busy for God, and that, friends, is too busy. So look at your schedule again. Reevaluate your commitments and activities. Are you crowding God out of the top spot? If so, you need to take some irons out of the fire. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program. We're running out of time, but we do need to tell you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And if you disagree with something you've heard on a virtual Bible study in the past or you want a clarification about what we believe or practice, we encourage you to contact us at any time. Questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you on the program. All right. This third one is an interesting statement. Our correspondent says, It really bothers me how the Church of Christ views instrumental music. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that using instruments in worship is wrong. I don't see why it's viewed that way. Also, all over the Bible, it talks about worshiping freely the way you want. i got to catch that last phrase first. Where in the Bible does it talk about worshiping freely the way you want? She says it's all over the Bible. I can't find any place in the Bible that says worship any way you want. Maybe she could clarify that because that, that, that does puzzle me and it puzzled Aaron in, in, our, in his comments as well. Uh, Monty? You know, if you think about it, from the beginning of history, Cain tried to worship God the way he wanted to and was condemned for it. We see later on in history... Early on in the Jewish dispensation, Nadab and Abihu tried to worship God the way they wanted to, and God had fire consume them for it. And then we see further on in the New Testament examples of people corrupting the worship. The, the people in Corinth tried to worship God the way they wanted to, and Paul rebuked them for it. Beginning, middle, and end, constantly God is telling it through his messengers that you can't worship God the way you want. You've got to do it the way he wants. But God has said, you mentioned there, Amadi, from the beginning, middle, and God has said, do it this way. And he's, we've seen examples of him in the patriarchal dispensation punishing people who didn't do it by the pattern that he gave That's them. That's right. We see in the, in the Mosaic period, God gave a pattern. He expected people to be following the pattern. And why would you think it's any different in the New Testament? You know, Jesus dealt with this uh, specifically, Matthew 15:9. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. 
if it was true that you could worship any way you want, then it'd be impossible to worship in vain. But Jesus said their worship was vain because they did it not according to the commandments of God, but according to the commandments of men. It's important. You've got to do it right. right. And maybe she can clarify a little bit about what she meant there because, uh, yeah, Aaron is puzzled. He says, if it's really all over the Bible, then it should be easy to cite a passage. In fact, the Bible does talk in many places about people worshiping freely the way they want, but it always condemns the results. Cain worshiped the way he wanted in Genesis chapter 4. Bad result. When Aaron fashioned the golden calf, he declared that he and the people were participating in a feast of Jehovah. Exodus 32, verse 5. Again, they were worshiping any way they wanted. Bad result. King Isaiah thought it would be a great idea to burn incense to God in the temple to thank God for his success. Second Chronicles 26. Bad outcome. The Corinthians thought they had made some improvements to the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul told them to go back and practice it as it was originally revealed. To amend your earlier comment, when you desire a relationship with God, you want to worship him the way he said he wants to be worshipped, and you don't try to add things just because you like them. I think that's right. Uh, Brad in Alabama says, May I request some evidence for the assertion that, quote, all over the Bible it talks about worshiping freely the way you want. Everybody's picking up on that. That's just not in the Bible. He says, my, my exposure to the Bible leads me to conclude precisely the opposite. He mentions Nadab and Abihu. He mentions uh, Matthew 15, 9, the Pharisees worshiping in vain. He says, we could produce countless passages throughout the prophets in the book of Exodus and Judges, even all the way back to Cain's worship that God reject, uh, rejected. So he says, now, regarding musical instruments in particular, there's no evidence that the early church used musical instruments in worship or incense or animal sacrifices or lighting of lamps, by the way, only that they sang, Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, 16, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Why should we conclude that God desires anything different from us today? The bottom line is, how has God asked us to worship him? If God has communicated to us what he wants from us in worship, why would we think that we should be, he would be satisfied with something different? Yeah. Why would we conclude that God would be happy with us if we gave him what we want to give him rather than what he wants us to give him? Frankly, it's arrogant, dare I say blasphemy, to tell God that we'll worship him however we want, and he'll like it. If, if I ask someone for something and he gives me something different, I'm not pleased. Why would we assume that God is any different? In fact, God made that argument, Malachi 1, 6 through 9. That's very good, good, Brad. Good point, Brad. Um, Well, nowhere in the New Testament does it say it's wrong to use instrumental music in worship. It doesn't explicitly say that. It it also, we take this to an extreme, we talked about this before, nowhere in the Bible does it say it'd be wrong to worship God with flying trapeze and chainsaw jugglers. You know? I like chainsaw juggling. You know, hey, hey, hey listen. I'm that guy who can do that trick—that hey, is amazing. And we're going to give you glory to admit. God that He still has you all got, his fingers. You've got to admit that's amazing. Yeah, we're going to. So, I mean, can we do that? Uh, there's got you take it to an extreme. If it's freely any way I want, then we can do all kinds of stuff. And uh, like Brad said, you know, when you you go to a restaurant, someone's serving you money, and you order uh, iced tea to drink. And they bring you uh, water. You're not happy because they free- served you freely any way that they wanted. You, you know, even to just... go further than that, I'm not real thrilled when I order sweetened iced tea and they bring me unsweetened. I mean, they got the iced tea part, but they didn't get not the, the way that they you didn't asked. get it the way I asked for it. Hey, so if I'm so foolish as to want it the way I want it, why should I think God, who is the supreme creator of the universe and everything in it, is not going to want it the way He wants it? Yeah. Uh, uh, we've got multiple episodes in the archives of the Virtual Bible Study. If you care to go there, we've got we've got numerous episodes on authority, and in those lessons on authority, we point out when God specifies one thing, then that's what we got to do. Other things are excluded, and then we've also got multiple episodes on instrumental music and worship. So, uh, I mean, we've covered that a lot. It's again, it's somewhat frustrating that that's not understood. It's pretty straightforward from the scripture. And Darren in the chat room says, now that I think about it, the Bible does talk about a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. In Jude chapter four, Judges chapter seventeen, verses six and twenty-five and and twenty-one. Uh, Judges twenty-five, twenty-one, verse twenty-five, chapter twenty-five, one, verse twenty-five. But in the book of Judges, yeah, yeah in the book of Judges, Judges, it was in there. And he says, but I think it was not a compliment when they were doing that. And Lane uh, sends in an email. He says uh, he references first. Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 which says not to think beyond what is written I would simply like to honestly and openly look at the only few places in the New Testament which we happen to be under today rather than the Old Testament such as Ephesians 5:19, Colossians 3:16, even Acts 16 verse 25 for instance 
all places indicating worshiping God via hymns and excluding to uh, uh, are exclusive to singing with your voice. Never do we read of instruments being used or authorized. Therefore, I go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, not to think beyond what is written. If I cannot see that Christians were commanded nor given authority to use instruments to praise God, then I shall not do so either. You see, I am not here to give God what I want to give him. Rather, I am here to get, uh, to want to give God what he wants me to give him. In the case of worshiping, a worship concerning New Testament Christians, we are given neither command nor authority nor indication God desires us to play instruments to him, just like we are not told or shown to burn incense. Good comments, Lane. Thank you. From Stephen, where, where in the Bible does it say we can worship the way we want? Why was God upset with Cain's worship? Why did God kill Nadab and Abihu for their worship? Why was God upset for the Molechs passing their infants through the fire? Why can we not share the cup of demons, 1 Corinthians 10, 20 and 21? Why did the high priest have a rope tied to his person on the Day of Atonement? When God tells us what and how to do something, then freelancing is unacceptable. It never ends well. He doesn't have to tell us what not to do when he's told us what we should do. I think you're exactly right, Stephen. And David in Kansas City says, What bothers me is the total disregard to Bible authority displayed by all denominations and even most claiming to be the Church of Christ. Silence is prohibitive. He references Hebrews 7.14, Acts 15.24, 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 7, Jeremiah 7, 30 through 31, 2 Samuel 6, verses 6 and 7. Furthermore, the pattern in the New Testament is to sing, never play. And he notes the passages that reference worship to God with music. They're all singing, vocal, no reference to instruments. Matthew 26, 30, Mark 14, 26, Acts 16, 25, Romans 6, 15, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15, Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3.16, Hebrews 2.12, and James 3.13. Or 5, no, the, the point of that that David is mentioning is every place where we hear music mentioned in the New Testament, it's always vocal music singing. There's no, there's no reference to instrumental music. Therefore, we are not authorized to do what the, the Scriptures are silent about. We can't add to what the Scriptures say. Okay. Uh, this is from Chris in England. Uh, where does it say it's right to worship any way you want? Also, those who worship him should do so in spirit and truth. We're told to come with a hymn, psalm, and spiritual song, all of which have words. None are instrumental. So I think you're right about that, Chris. And Carla in North Carolina says, As a parallel, God told Noah to make thee an ark of gopher wood, according to Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. God's commandment was narrow, specific, and restrictive. Compare this command with the inspired apostles' commands in Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In Ephesians 5, verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. These commands state what is required in music. I don't, uh, let's see, uh, and then she addresses the comment about God wants you to worship, or it's okay to worship any way that you want. Uh, Carla says the writer is speaking out of ignorance. God has never allowed worship towards him to be conducted beyond anything that he requires and deems as appropriate. If people can worship freely any way that they want, then why were Nadab and Abihu struck down and killed for offering strange fire in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1? Randy in Michigan, his emails come in a little late, but he says the same thing. Silence forbids. He says that in the chat room, too. Silence forbid. God tells us what he wants us to do. He does not have to tell us what not to do. Look at what happened to Nadab and Abihu. God told them to get the fire... To use where to get the fire to use in their sensor, they got the fire elsewhere. God put them to death. Leviticus 10 9, numbers 3, verse 4. Stephen in the chat room about instrumental music says the instrument to be plucked uh, is the heart. Uh, and so uh, I think he's right about that. And Monty, you get the last word before the break. We have an example in the Old Testament where King David decided rather than worshiping in the tabernacle that they should build God a temple. And he even went and talked to Nathan the prophet about it, and the two of them got together and decided that that would be a grand, wonderful thing to do, that they would proceed with it. Well, as Nathan left David's company and was on the way home, God came and spoke to him and told him what to go back and tell David. And what he told David was, when did I ever ask for that? It seemed like a good idea, just like instrumental music. It sounds good. I like hearing instrumental music played. But when did God, it's not that God never said not to, it's when did he ask for it? When did he authorize it? All right, we're going to get a break. When we get back, we'll finish out the hour with uh, so, some more comments by our listener. Again, we appreciate her tone, 
But we are concerned about some of the things that are stated. We just don't believe that they can be substantiated by what we read in the Scriptures. All right. Let's take a break, and we'll take your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Verse of Bible Study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. Hi. My name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of the Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of the Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. In 2012, the most recent year for which full data are available, 40,600 suicides were reported, making suicide the 10th leading cause of death for Americans. In that year, someone in the country died by suicide every 12.9 minutes. That information is via the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Romans 13 verse 9 says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program and we're talking about an email a listener was kind enough to send us about why she believes the Church of Christ is wrong and incorrect. And so we appreciate that email and we're talking about it tonight. All right, finally, and we're just about out of time. We've got a little bit of a late start tonight, but we're almost out of time anyway. Uh... The emailer concludes by saying, I also do not want you to view this as an attack on your church. I believe that you all have great faith and serve God well. I just want to be clear of how other people are viewing the Church of Christ. My hope and prayer is that one day these views toward others in the denominations will come to an end. Again, I appreciate the good attitude expressed by this person. Yes. And, we try, and, and we, we're trying to, to reflect our attitude in the same way. But in all honesty, you can't, you can't have this both ways. You can't say that we're wrong, that we're teaching false doctrine about baptism, that we're teaching a false doctrine about the necessity of works, that we're teaching a false doctrine about instrumental music, and then say you have great faith and you serve God well. You just, I mean, we can all try to have a good attitude, but we've got to be realistic here. And the fact of the matter is you can't have that both ways. Our attitude is not good, and we do not serve God well if we are binding things that the Scriptures don't bind, if we're making requirements that the Scriptures don't teach. Right, right. Aaron agrees. Uh, Aaron says, I appreciate your good spirit in speaking out for what you believe to be the truth. People ought to speak out when they believe that others are not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. He references Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul did that with Peter. But the Bible is clear, is very clear that obedience matters, and that if we claim Jesus as Lord, then we must do what he says. That will always be an unpopular stand to take. It was unpopular even when it was said by the Son of God in person. The only way for us to have unity is to all agree to do what God says, not to agree that we will, for example, worship freely as we want. And that is true. If we want to be unified, the absolute only way we can be unified is by agreeing to an absolute standard. It's not a, just whatever I want to do. That attitude will lead to religious division, and it would be contrary to what God wants. Thank you, Aaron, for that. Brad in Alabama says, I have written none of the above. In other words, he, he's had a long response here. He says, uh, not out of hate, but out of love. In other words, our answer is not out of hate, but out of love. If I didn't believe that the views that the listener espouses are destructive, I would have not bothered. Consequently, as I, have con as I am convinced that the promotion of the listener's ideas will ultimately lead souls away from God, I want to be perfectly clear. What I wrote... Above is absolutely an attack on the listener's ideas, not an attack on the listener or her sincerity, but rather on her ideas. 
I attack those ideas because I think, as I have demonstrated, they are not of the truth. The church is supposed to be the pillar and ground of truth, 1 Timothy 3.15, and to cast down arguments that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. I beg the listener, therefore, please come around, not to the way I see, but to the way God has laid out in the truth of his word. So, Brad, saying these are important issues, and, and it's not just, a, well, you, you see it your way, I'll see it mine. No, they're vitally important, Brad says, and so that's the, the reason why he's gone to the time uh, to send in his email. Thank you, Brad, for that. And Stephen says, the church of Christ is not my church. I don't have a church, otherwise it would be known by my name or title. Words have meaning. How have you other denominations will come to an end when, I, when they start to understand the meaning of the scriptures and start to follow them? At that point, they will have forsaken division as normal. They will recognize the one body, which means one church, Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Colossians 1, 18 and 24. There are approximately 1,300 denominations today. How can one view this as representing one is beyond the scope of anyone uh, that could see. No, uh, uh, see, it will, however, come to an end when Christ returns. For his bride is the church. He only has one bride, and we all know who we'll all, we will all know who that is soon enough. So thank you, uh, Stephen, for that. Okay, uh, David in Kansas City says it's not our church. We don't have a church. The church belongs to Christ. Unity comes from strictly adhering to God's word. It's the only way to be of one mind and one judgment. First Corinthians one verse ten. All right, Chris in UK. Chris in UK says. Um, Here's the question, hypothetical, admittedly. If I was to fly over the pond and come uh, through your church doors on a Sunday, would I be allowed to worship you and break bread there? No, well, I think his argument there is we, we all, no, we're just fine to be ecumenical, but all of us have some limitations. And even this, I think he's suggesting that even this person who emailed us would have some limitation as to who she would fellowship and who she wouldn't. Okay. If we're going to, you know, we, we can't just be wide open. Everybody has some line, draws some line in the sand, I think. Carla in North Carolina says the Church of Christ is not a denomination. Denominations represent apostasy from the Church of Christ, according to 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3. Uh, and she quotes that here, that the latter times some would depart from the faith. Uh, and... Um, and she also references 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. The time will come when they not, will not endure sound doctrine, but will, after their own lust, keep to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn their ears away from the truth and shall be turned to fables. Christians expose sin and false doctrine for two reasons. Number one, God wants everyone to be saved, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And number two, as Christians, we cannot in good conscience witness ignorant and vain worship without standing up for the truth. We love the souls of men and want to show them the error of their ways. Like the Apostle Paul stated in, in Romans 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And finally, Randy in, in Michigan references Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there's only one church, not many. Ephesians 4, 4 says there's one body. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says the body is the church. There's one body and the body is the church, therefore there's just one true church. And we, it, it's our job to find it. You know, uh, and, and the way we find it is to study the scriptures, see how it's identified in the word of God, and then try to find a group that is worshiping and working and doing its practices in accordance with what we read in the scriptures. That's what we've got to do. Right. And this idea of ecumenicalism, the idea that I'm okay, you're okay, it's just not biblical. There is right and there is wrong. Now, we're not saying we're absolutely right. We could be wrong, too. But we can't all be right. One of the reasons we have the virtual Bible study is because we want to make sure that what we believe is true, and we want to put it out in front of other people to be, to be challenged like our listener did tonight, and we appreciate that. And, and, and the thing of it is, though, we can't all be right. If we differ, we're not, we can both be wrong, but we both can't be right, and that's why we seek to know accurately the Word of God and practice it as faithfully as we can all right again we appreciate our listener for her email taking the time to send that email and also for the tone we just we disagree and um well dad i'd like to have the opportunity to talk with her maybe someday we can uh to get a better understanding of what uh what her thoughts are but i think the things that were expressed tonight are uh, are very um concerning because they do have ramifications that are very serious uh, i think so and so we appreciate though the opportunity to talk about it i think so Monty, thanks for coming out tonight and helping us with the program. Thank you, Jacob. And your comments. And, Dad, I uh, appreciate having the opportunity to talk with you as well. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for listening. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Again, if you disagree with anything that we have said, 
you'd like to have some clarification about what we've said. Or maybe even you'd be willing to come and talk with us about uh, what we've said on a program in the future. Or if you have a suggestion for a, a topic to be discussed on a future edition of Bible, Virtual Bible Study, we would encourage you to contact us. TheVirtualBibleStudy.com is the way you get in touch with us. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.